Well, let's open with prayer. Father in heaven, we appreciate so much the fact that we can call upon you and we recognize that your faithfulness will be something that we can count on because you are going to hear us. And if our requests, our Father, are according to your will and in keeping with the things that are commensurate with your word, we know that we will receive a response. Thank you so much for the things that we experience on a day-by-day -day basis. It is an obvious evidence of your goodness to each and every one of us. Our Father, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you for our health. Thank you for the alertness and ability to understand things that you have given to us. May we use those things in a productive way. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right. Shock, ladies and gentlemen, shock. And that is, we were going to start James two months ago. Now that we have gone through all the introductory matters, we are finally going to start the book of James. How's that? So here we go. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, take it and turn to the book of James. And we just might get through a verse or two today. And uh, you know, uh, you all know how that is. James chapter 1. And I'm looking at the very first verse. As soon as I can get my Bible open to that spot, it starts out by saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad greeting. All right, now that introduces us to a couple different interesting questions. The first question is, what James are we talking about? There are four people in the New Testament that are called James that are given that, uh, given that title. By the way, the word James is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word Jacob. So if you say Jacob in Old Testament times, you're saying James. If you say James in the New Testament time, you're actually saying Jacob. So it's, it's the same thing. But anyway, the first James that we, uh, that we can probably just kind of eliminate uh, off the bat is uh, a James who is called the father of Judas, not Iscariot. You remember there were two people who were the 12 that were called Judas. One was Judas Iscariot, because he was from the town of Iscariot. And then there is Judas not Iscariot. His father is called James. Does that make sense? Good. Oops, excuse me. Let me back up. James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, this is another James in the New Testament. Uh, he is also called the uh, James the Less. And when it says James the Less, we probably mean James the Younger or James the Little. This is how they, this is how they categorize people back then. Probably the most famous James that we are aware of during New Testament time is James the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of John who wrote the Gospel of John. He's called one of the sons of thunder. 
he witnessed the transgression or transfiguration. He is also uh, one of the inner three. When you're reading through the Gospels, you often see the term Peter, James, and John. Well, that's this James right here. And uh, he is the first disciple that is martyred, Acts chapter 12. So those are the three that we can probably easily eliminate. <coughs> the next one, who is probably the most likely candidate that wrote the book of James, is this guy right here. He is the half-brother of Jesus. And if you look at Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 25, the brothers are listed. And James in every list is always mentioned first. Probably Jesus is the firstborn and James was the secondborn. He's always the oldest. He's probably the next oldest other uh, beyond Jesus. In addition to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 mentions that when Christ was resurrected, he appeared to this James. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul meets him three years after Paul is converted, and James interacts with him. The next thing is that James endorses Paul's ministry. Realize that this is kind of a contentious time in church life because here is Paul. He has been out there persecuting Christians. He's been arresting them, hauling them off to jail. And Paul comes to see James and says, look, I, I, I'm one of you now. I trusted Christ. I've been converted. He tells them about the Damascus Road experience. Then he becomes a leader in the church. And we see that in Acts chapter 15. He's one of the key spokesmen at that conference. And then when you read the book of Jude, he says, I am the brother of James. I find it interesting that if you look at verse one closely, he doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus. Jude doesn't say Jude, the brother of Jesus. They both say, I'm a bondservant or I am the brother of somebody. I think that is kind of interesting. The word bondservant that is used in this passage is the same word that the Apostle Paul always uses when he introduces himself in his letters. And he always says, I am a bondservant. Uh, I am a person who is at the service of other people. Now notice closely, this. If you look at the New Testament, they are divided into different categories. You have the Gospels, there are four of them. Then you have the Book of Acts. You have the Pauline letters, by the way, it's Pauline. Not Pauline? Not Pauline. <laughs> We're studying a man, not a woman. You understand that? <laughs> Pauline. <laughs> then it's, you, surely you've heard that before. I heard that. Okay. Then there's the book of Hebrews. Then there is what we call the general epistles. Uh, 
then you have the book of the Revelation. Now, if you look at the table of contents in your Bible, particularly with the New Testament letters, you will discover that the book of James is listed and it is number 20. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you might think that because James is so late in the New Testament, as far as its listing is concerned, that it was written very, very late. That's not true. I am personally inclined to think, and I'm not a minority, but I kind of am on this because of my training and stuff like this. I was influenced by these individuals. I'm inclined to think that much of the New Testament was written before 70 AD, all right? So here you have a history of the New Testament era. Christ is crucified. Within a month and a half later, the church begins. Christ was probably crucified in April of 33, okay? Then you have a period that is what you might call a gap between Paul's mission trips. And then you have Paul in prison, two different imprisonments. And then finally, 70 AD, you have the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus, the Roman general. Now, the question we ask is this. The first book of the New Testament that was written is the book of Galatians. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here for a moment. There is what is called the Northern Galatia Theory or the Southern Galatia Theory. I am holding to the Southern Galatia Theory that is talked about in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul visits these areas. He starts the churches. He visits Lystra, Derby, Iconium. And then he sees the difficulties that these churches are having with regard to the controversy of the Jews and Gentiles over the subject of circumcision, justification by faith. He writes the book of Galatians. He does that just prior to the Jerusalem conference that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. Uh, I, I, this is probably a little technical for you, but hang on, all right? The bulk of the New Testament is written during this period of time right here. Many of Paul's letters, other than the book of Galatians, were written during this period of time, from approximately the early 50s to probably the mid to late 60s, just before Jerusalem is destroyed. Now, there's one very interesting exception. And the exception is the book that we are going to be studying. And that is the book of James. James is probably written within a year or two after Pentecost. Oh, wow. It was written very, very early. The interesting thing about the book of James is that it was written probably 15 years prior to any other New Testament book. This to me is an extremely important distinction 
doctrine is developed in this era right here. It's developed by the Apostle Paul, John, and things of that nature. James is not in the process of developing Christian doctrine in his book. All right? Any questions about that? The reason I am making such an emphasis with regard to this is if you force this doctrine back into this book, you may miss the point of what this book is all about. Does everybody understand that? All right, let me go on. So what you have and the reason for the early date of the book of James is if you look closely, first verse, James, bondservant of Jesus Christ, to who? The 12 tribes scattered abroad. Who are the 12 tribes? The church. No. Israel. <laughs> wrote something at that guy. <laughs> the Jewish people. The Jewish people. <laughs> I'm sorry. He, he had to. S- <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, there is no mention of Jew Gentile interaction or controversy in the book of James. None whatever. Last of all, there is no reference to Gentile outreach. So I am going to suggest to you that part of the reason for James being very, very early is that the interaction with the Jews, outreach to the Jews, is non-existent. It is early in the church, and it wasn't even a thought at this point. In fact, look at James chapter 2. And I'm going to ask for your help on this. For if a man come into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. Now, the word I'm looking at specifically is the word assembly. What do some of your translations have? Anybody? What, what verse are you exactly? I'm looking at verse 2. Verse two. King James. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm reading from the New American Standard, if you'll forgive me. Uh, what does the King James say? Assembly. assembly. Huh? Assembly. It does say assembly. Anybody else have a different word? Meeting. Meeting. Yes. Synagogue. Uh, what translation do you have? Um, <laughs> the CSB. The CSB. ESB? CSB. Oh, okay, all right. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Greek word translated assembly is synagogue. Now, does that sound like synagogue? That is the Greek word for synagogue. Do you know that this particular Greek word is used 56 times in the New Testament? 56 times. How many times is it translated Synagogue. Zero. Fifty-five times. This is the only place in the New Testament where it's translated assembly. Uh, One of my irritations is that sometimes translators interpret 
rather than translate. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here they interpreted. They should have just translated it synagogue, like it is in the New Testament Greek text. So I am going to suggest that one of the reasons why it is early is that the Jewish people are still going to the synagogue, particularly the Christian Jewish people. Now, let me point out something that I think is sometimes overlooked in the early, early years of the church. Many of us think that the moment Pentecost took place, there was just an automatic huge switch and everybody just switched over. Okay, now we're all New Testament church believers. It didn't happen like that. There was a gradual transition. Here is the way, oh, by the way, here are some other reasons why I think it's probably early. Parallels with the Sermon on the Mount, many references to the book of Proverbs, practical and pastoral presentation. Let me just talk about that for a minute. James does not write the book as a theologian. He writes the book as a pastor. Now, pastors should be theologians. I understand that. But the interesting thing is you don't have what you call a doctrinal section and then a practical section, very much like the book of Romans. The book of Romans has eight chapters of doctrine, and then the balance of it, either starting in chapter 12 or chapter 9 or chapter 12, you have the practical section. The book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are doctrinal. The next three chapters from 4 to 6 are practical. James isn't like that. He starts right in with practical Christian living stuff. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? All right? Now, here is the situation that we have. Pretend, if you will, that that circle up there is the unbelieving Jewish nation. The Lord Jesus Christ dies on the cross April 3rd, 33 AD. Shortly after that, the church begins on the day of Pentecost. The distinctive about the church is that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them from that point onward. That's the distinctiveness of the church. Prior to this time, they did not have the ongoing indwelling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit was selective and temporary. It would come and go. From Pentecost on, it is permanent. And everyone who trusts Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We get that from the book of 1 Corinthians and also Romans. But what happens? Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and all of a sudden what we have is the believing Jewish remnant is inside of the Jewish nation. Early on, they do not see themselves as distinct they see themselves as, quote, unquote, saving the Jewish nation. If you read from Acts chapter 1 to, say, Acts chapter 9, where are they going to worship? They're going to the synagogue. Where are they going to pray? 
to the synagogue. Where is their activity? It's mostly at the temple or the synagogue. And so they do not see themselves as distinct at that point. But something happens. What is it that happens? Does the Jewish community, the unsaved Jewish community, want them? Oh, no. Get them out of here. They're corrupting things. And so, all right, watch this closely. I worked hard on this. They want them out of there. Get out of here. They have persecution from the Jewish community. They have persecution from the Roman government. So what happens? They're early on. Why? Persecution is intensifying. In fact, it is very, very likely, and scholars are kind of divided on this, but I am inclined to think, and I'm not alone on this, that the first five, six, seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts take place over a period of approximately just a year or two at the very most three. So when you are reading Acts 1 to Acts 9 or 10, you are reading history in a two to three year period. When you get to Acts chapter 13, that's when things start spreading out a little. That's when there are years rolled into just a few chapters. But the interesting thing that you discover when you see Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 is this. Notice closely. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, that is Stephen. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. What's happening? Christian people, Jewish Christian people are scattering. They're getting out of there. Why the apostles stayed in Jerusalem? I don't know. It just says they did. All right. So what is happening is intense persecution is starting all over. This is significant. This takes place years later. They finally see themselves as separate from the unbelieving Jewish nation. They do not realize this until later, but what happens? I worked hard on this one too. <laughs> so they finally see themselves as a church. We're not the Jewish remnant. We're separate from the Jewish people. And we're called the church. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. Now, let me go on. <coughs> James is written early on. 
I'm going to suggest within years, not a lot of years, but a few years, right at the very beginning. The concept of the mystery, the church being a mystery, the first mention of that is in the book of Ephesians. In fact, if you don't mind, turn to Ephesians and let me just read what it says here. Ephesians chapter 3. This is not the actual first rendering of it, but it is the first time it is put in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Now, we don't have that letter, but it is mentioned here in the book of Ephesians. When is the book of Ephesians written? It is written during Paul's first imprisonment. And would you believe that there is a 30-year 30, 30 gap between James and when the mystery is talked about? What is the mystery? The church is not the mystery. Kinda. But what is the mystery is the fact that the Jews and Gentiles are in unity together in what is called the church. This was absolutely unheard of on the day of Pentecost. Now, God knew it, but it took years for them to finally figure out the believing remnant of the Jews are coming out from the unbelieving nation. This new nucleus of people are going to be joined by the Gentile people. And finally, finally, his sun starts to dawn on them. Now, <laughs> these people were exactly like us. How many of you love the rapid change that is happening in our country right now? None of us. We hate it. We hope we can reverse it. Do you think that they were any different than we are? <laughs> no, they weren't. They were just as resistant to change as ever. Now, I am not saying in any way God is doing the changing now. But I am going to suggest to you that the resistance to change is something that every generation experiences. And the Jewish people back then were no exception. And when you read through the book of Acts, particularly chapter 15, when Paul gives his testimony Peter gives his testimony. James says something from the scriptures. It is finally dawning on them 
you know, God is changing the way he does things. It's not antithetical from the Old Testament scriptures, but it was something that was always there. And why couldn't we see it prior to this time? It was always there. Have you ever had that experience? It was always there. Somehow you just didn't see it. Any comments or questions? All right, now, the reason I am emphasizing this right now, and if you look at various study Bibles, they will tell you, <clears throat> and you know what, I don't mind being a minority. I don't mind admitting they're wrong. <laughs> For some reason, a lot of people think the book of James was written almost to 60. Really? When the Gentiles are already coming into the church, why would James leave out relationships with the Gentiles in the book of James if that was such a controversy? Not one syllable about the tension that was existing over the subject of circumcision. Because Jewish people said, hey, Gentiles need to be circumcised. They, they need to become Jews, and then they can become Christians. And the Apostle Paul said, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's a thing of the past. All right, now, any comments or questions? Because we're actually going to get to verse 2. <laughs> yes, Harry. What, the book of James really to help those that were so persecuted to get through those tough years. Uh, you know what, Harry? You are anticipating my next move. <laughs> You've known me too long. All right, here we go. Persecution. It starts right from the start. Here is a renegade group of people that saw Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They are going to have enemies on every side. And James says, look closely, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And who's he writing to? He's writing to these people right at the very beginning of the church age. And he's saying, folks, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have difficulty. It's going to come at you from everybody you never expected from. You folks are doing the right thing. You folks are on the right path. But because you are, you're going to be persecuted from every conceivable side. And look, if you will, closely at the verse. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't specify the kind of trials. The word various is interesting because it has the idea of an array of colors. Trials are going to take every conceivable form that you can imagine. So, 
I don't know about you, but I think there's something really, really interesting here. And that is the very first word of the New Testament. First word. First thing God says to the New Testament church. Before he gives them doctrine, before he gives them sequence about eschatology, any of that. What's the first thing he tells them? It's right there in the text. What does he tell them? Trials are coming. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. I'm inclined to think that there is a message for us because you always have to make a distinction between the fact that is the Bible written for us or to us? In this particular passage, I think it is written for us. It's written to other people for us. Do you understand that? It's written to the 12 tribes, but we can benefit from it. And I am also inclined to think that what we have in this first statement from God to the New Testament believers is that in every single generation from this point onward, expect difficulties, expect trials. And if you look down through church history, one of the things that you discover is that in every single era of church history, they have had their special difficulties that they've had to deal with. Does everybody understand what I'm getting at? And the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not in any way diminishing doctrine. Doctrine, if you know me, you know how important doctrine is. But I find it extremely interesting that before he gives us the nuts and bolts of Christian doctrine, he says, folks, trials are coming. And you are going to go through difficulties in every era of church history. First century, fifth century, 10th century, 15th century, 21st century. We're going through it. And that's why he says various trials, the various array of colors of kinds of trials. Any comments or questions? How many of, uh, by the way, it's interesting to me, and you feel this, I don't think the Christian community has ever been under the overt, now we've been under assault before, but the overt assault that we are experiencing. <coughs> and it, it, it probably resembles right there. Government is opposed to us. Various religious groups are probably opposed to us. Well, you're the radicals. We don't need you. You're causing trouble. Comments or questions? 
you all were spellbound. I, I'm not that magnetic of a speaker. <laughs> Relax a little. <laughs> yes, sir. Don't you dare contradict me. <laughs> okay, I'll have a question. All right. <laughs> the very first verse of the book of James says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And so you're suggesting it may have been written after 8-1? Yes. Okay, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. And but I do believe it's written early. I, I, I agree. And I think that it probably, just, just looking at, at timelines that I've got in my Thompson book, I saw Thompson book. Thompson chain? It's actually not Thompson chain. It's not Thompson? No, it's, it's a Bullinger Bible. Uh, it's a something Bible, I don't know. But, um, but it, it, it suggests it suggests to me that they were written that James was written about the same time that Peter had the vision, and that would make sense because that would that would sort of coincide that if it happened just before that time, then there's this awakening to the role of the church as being Jews and Gentiles. And the second the comment that I had was um, that persecution. I, I, I think I think that what you said is spot on if we restrict it to our country. But persecution, Christians have been burned it, for the lighting of parties. Right. It's been worldwide. We it, have enjoyed this yep. wonderful experiment, but now it's it's spread from the world to the U.S. and it's yep. worldwide. There, uh, and I agree. I I am not, and I I I have I don't think we're that far apart. I I, I really so do either. believe that. What the thing I'm trying to say is that it's written early on, and it's written when persecution starts to intensify. And we don't, the interesting thing is, to date, every single New Testament book is, in all honesty, a guessing game. But I think from the internal evidence, and when I say internal evidence, the little clues in the book, it would sure seem to me like what is left out and what is added would indicate an earlier date than 60? Agreed. Okay. okay. When does James die? Was, when, when you know, we don't know that. I just wonder. We don't know that. Uh, My question is when Christ is at the cross, he, he, he gives his mother to John, John the Beloved. I mean, I'm just wondering what that dynamic Well, is. it's interesting that uh, this is just a guess, all right, David? Yeah, I, I understand. I find it interesting that in most cases in the New Testament, people's names are listed by age. And when he says Peter, James, and John, he doesn't say Peter, John, and James. He says James first because James is older. Okay. And when Peter and John run to the tomb that's of Christ. A, that's a different James. Huh? That's a different James. No. Peter. This is James, the half-brother of Christ. Well, all right, all right, right. But what I'm, what I'm, okay. You caught me. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be thinking that fast. <laughs> um, 
I, 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 when, when Peter and John were running to the tomb, who got there first? John. John. Why? He was younger. He could run faster. I mean, that's well, the general. I mean, a speculation is that Christ could project that John was going to be the last one. Right. The last man standing. I mean, that's the last man standing. Let me, let me show you a verse, because I know the normal theory. The normal theory is that the Gospel of John and the Book of the Revelation are written way, way late. After 70. After 70. In my opinion, and it's just my opinion, and as Charles Barkley said, I may be wrong, but I doubt it. In my opinion, the destruction of Jerusalem was such a catastrophic event in the life of Jewish history. I cannot imagine it not being at least mentioned in some of these later books. So I am personally inclined to think that a lot of the New Testament was written prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, let me show you a verse. <clears throat> Last verse of John's Gospel. Verse 24. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things. Who is that? Who wrote the Gospel of John? John. Notice the next phrase. And we know that his witness is true. Who's we? Who's we? Who? The apostles. They're all still alive. Now, we do not have the original documents, but this is a theory. The theory is that in the original, John writes the first part of verse 24. And then in different handwriting, someone comes and writes, and we know this is true. Who's we? The other living disciples. Now, did they all sign their name? We don't know. But the question is, who's we? It's sure not us. It's somebody else. Now, that's just food for thought. And, and you know, one of the interesting things that we, that we do, all right. One of the interesting things that we do when we study the Bible is we don't pay close attention to the pronouns. We don't pay attention to the you and the I and the we and the they. And whenever you're reading through the Bible, just ask yourself, well, who are they? Who are we? Who are them? Now, remember, the Bible is written for us, but not all of us are written to us. Now, we benefit from it, OK? All right. Saved by the bell. <laughs> hey, thank you, folks. We're going to start and uh, look at the whole point of uh, temptation because I believe that the whole tenor of the book of James is talking about how we are to conduct ourselves when we're going through hard times. And the key verse of that is James chapter 1, verse 19.
Let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because when we're in the midst of it, those are the three greatest temptations. All right? Hey, thank you, folks. Appreciate it.